Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedecase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode, we have another very special guest. It's been so long since he's come on. Man, it's just been forever. I have with me again Dr. Owen Anderson, and we're going to be talking about the First Amendment. We're going to be covering a little bit from his paper in the Cambridge Companion to the First Amendment and religious liberty. Boom. I think I got that right. Um, and it's, it's all about the first amendment and natural religion. There was a little bit of a dust up that he's been involved in. Um, and you guys know, I like to keep this like evergreen content so you can go back 10 years later and, and watch it and all that. They're trying not to get into like current event type stuff, but we had to have him on to talk about this. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but then we'll mostly get into what is natural religion? What's the first amendment? Is it really even like, uh, a Christian principle, all that good stuff. So stay tuned to that. And you're going to be an expert in natural religion and the first amendment. Before we jump in though, I do want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen over on Patreon. You guys are awesome. Keeping the lights on, feed my dog. Seriously appreciate you guys. Also right now I'm doing a GoFundMe to help me get down to Florida for uh mind fest. I've been invited by uh, Dr. Susan Schneider, who's been on the podcast before to go and, and podcast uh, with the speakers there to talk about the future mind, what's going on. Uh, we got neuroscientists, philosophers, AI theorists. It's going to be wild. So I'm not going to go unless you guys send me. I, like if, if I don't go, that's fine. But if you guys want me to go and bring a bunch of podcast episodes back to you, then you got to send your boy. So check the link in the description and uh, help me get down there. That'd be awesome. So without further ado, let's bring in, uh, for the first time in a long time, Dr. Owen Anderson. Hey man, thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for bringing, dusting me off the, and bring, putting me off the, bring me off the shelf. <laughs> That's right, dude. For those who don't get the joke, man, like he was just on a couple of days ago, but, um, yeah, we the, went for a long time though, between it. We did. Yeah. It, it was, was a quite long a while. Period, now I'm back. But, yeah. 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 And I don't even know how many of this is probably like, I don't know, six or seven or something like that. A lot. You've been on a lot, um, which is cool because you got a lot to talk about. I love that. Um, with this, though, I thought maybe we could just introduce like what? Why is this uh, relevant right now? Like what's what's going on with you, man? What's happening? Well, at ASU, we have a design where uh, donors can set up centers that study a certain topic. So there's centers for a number of kinds of topics. And some of them might be uh, more politically leaning to the left or to the right. And so okay. one of the centers, which is housed within our honors college, is putting on an event that includes Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk. Okay. And so uh, some of the faculty wrote a letter saying that these are hate mongers and white nationalists and bigots who shouldn't be given a platform to speak at ASU. And uh, three of us, so there's a number of those, most of the a large majority of the honors college, but then others outside the honors college support that. But three of us wrote a response letter and just said, hey, you know, what we do at the public university is we have free speech. We hear from all different perspectives. And, and ASU has signed what's called the Chicago Statement, which mm -hmm. is about freedom of speech on campuses. And, and one of the things the Chicago Statement says is that you have to support beliefs that you even think are repugnant and you strongly disagree yeah. with. And I would go a step further because for myself, if I think somebody really is bigoted or, or what, one of those other terms, I kind of want them to have more opportunities to talk in public so their views come out and get exposed. Yeah, give them enough so, uh, so, rope yeah. to hang themselves with, right? Well, I don't want to use any violent references you know, to sound <laughs> violent, but yeah, you're right. Um, you let them go out there and, and say all that they can yeah. and say, look, this is what they think. So, So the idea was that uh, and so then the faculty kind of backpedaled and said, no, no, we don't want them boycotted. We just don't want them to have a platform. Well, yeah, yeah that's the same thing. So what's at stake is this. If, fa if, if faculty basically can vote that they don't want a speaker on campus, we all know the statistics are about 95, 90, 95% of them are left leaning. So if speakers mm -hmm. coming to campus depends on the faculty approving them, a majority at least, then those speakers will never come to campus that they disagree with. So that's what's at stake. And of course, the pushback was you're defending Charlie Kirk or you're defending Dennis Prager. Doesn't matter. I'm defending people coming to campus and and uh, having the freedom of speech. I see the kinds of events that are, are on a campus from the far left perspective. I never say ASU shouldn't host them. Right. 
Yeah. That's that's interesting that you guys follow the Chicago statement on that. I, um, for all the theology nerds out there are thinking the theo- uh, Chicago statement on inerrancy. Yeah, I guess Chicago, Chicago is the place to be if you want to make statements. That's good. Yeah. Well, they do. They are a leading. I mean, going back to the days of John Dewey, they're kind of a leading innovative school, although yeah. ASU is ranked number one for innovation by U.S. News and World Report. A little plug. Okay. <laughs> uh, and our president has been great. Um yeah for supporting freedom of speech. Cause like I said, if you were to actually line up left-wing speakers versus right-wing speakers, it would be 10 to one. Yeah. Right. The yeah. one time that it's a right-wing speaker, they're, they're terribly upset. But I think part of the reason why, and part, part of what might interest you in, in our discussion is I think in a real way, this is a religious dispute. Yeah. So it's about identity and, and they've staked their claim on radical gender and race identity theories. Mm-hmm. And because of that, when you when you raise questions about it, they view you as as raising a question about themselves, just like a religious person would when you raise questions about their conversion. So in many yeah. cases, when you hear this, they have a kind of testimony or conversion story where mm-hmm. they were converted to this view of sexuality or this view of race. And therefore, it's very personal. Whereas I think you and, you and I have learned, because we're both religious, but we've learned you, you got to be able to deal with people saying you're wrong and not get upset. It's just, it's just how it is. Yeah, I, the, I'm a Christian, um, and lots of people think I'm wrong about that. Right. the The conversion thing is is fascinating. I'm I'm in a class uh, at Palm Beach Atlantic right now uh, on public philosophy, and we're, we've been going over ancient views of philosophy and how they were a little bit more like religious in nature, and there was a central figure, and you followed them, and you would convert over from you know uh, Epicureanism to uh, Platonism, and like you viewed the world differently. And I I, I thought that's fascinating looking at the world. Even today, seeing people are converting to different ideologies. I mean, yeah. you and I do jujitsu, and people can definitely convert over into jujitsu, and that's all they talk about. And they yeah, because of about, lifestyle. Yep. Yeah, they're getting out in nature, and they're breathing weird now because the well, there's different versions. Like there's tenth planet, right? Uh, jujitsu, yeah. Right. Then there's Gracie jujitsu. Totally. There's all different brands totally. within there too. <laughs> totally, it's so good. Um, real quick, uh, just to to follow up on the donor thing, um. Did do, do the faculty get to vote on like who the donors are or or, you know, if someone comes through and wants to make like a not a literal actual Nazi movement and they give money? Yeah, I'm assuming that, the I mean, school wouldn't, wouldn't accept that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because there are views that say we want to hurt people. Right. And say, sure. no, you can't. Yeah. You can't threaten people. Yeah. Calls to violence. Harm, right. Sure. Incite to harm. Yeah. Sure. It's along those lines. But but what happens in these situations is that and this is what's in the, that faculty letter is they call you they, they, they call you a, a person who has a phobia. Yeah. So you're you have a mental illness if you disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And so then they can say, yeah, someone like Dennis Prager, he has all these phobias and mental illnesses and he shouldn't come and speak to our children. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's the opposite of the idea of I'm training my students to be thinkers. Yeah. And so I'm going to take them to a talk, even though I disagree with the speaker, I want them to listen and learn to evaluate the argument. Mm-hmm. This is more like I'm going to protect my students from these scary things that are phobias. They're not even a matter of true and false anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Fa- it's so tricky, man. And I was, I told you offline, I was scared to even talk about this stuff. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. And you, I mean, you wrote this but, paper. But uh, the reason why? Yeah. Think about what you just said. That's coercion. Mm-hmm. You've been coerced to be afraid to speak about this stuff. I don't think you'd be afraid to speak about things that are more uh, mainline leftist narrative. The fear is there's ways that people will push back on you if they yeah. think you're not in line with their their narrative. Well, that's, that's true. That's really scary. I, I also see it from those who uh, who would say they're on my side and they're like, yeah, and here's another thing. And they go way too far. And you're like, wait, yeah, no, yeah, dude, yeah, don't absolutely. help me out. Yep. Please don't help me out. Yeah, I, I don't need your help on yep. this. So it's just it's it's the whole thing is just such a, a hornet's nest. And it, I don't know, there's the cliche about shedding more heat than light. And it's actually a cliche for a reason like that often happens. But I'm glad to talk with you, man, because you've written this this piece in the Cambridge. Well, we had, we had to write this letter, like I said, because if we didn't, any time a speaker came around that they didn't agree with, they could just vote and yeah. say, no, he can't be on, or he or she can't be on campus. But I think you're right. I mean, any inciting to violence is always wrong. Sure. Any silly retaliations of fallacies is wrong. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was interesting was one of the student groups tweeted right after our letter went out that we were three white male professors and then made fun of us because of our gender and race. Yeah. 
And so it's just like, wait, wait, wait. You're saying that because we're white males, we can't, our, our, indri- our beliefs aren't important or can't right. be heard. Yeah. So it, ha- it happens on both sides, but it should always be wrong to threaten someone or make fun of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm taking that for granted. I'm, I'm trying to teach my students how to be thinkers, how to use logic, how to identify fallacies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, for those who've heard you on this podcast before, like surprise, surprise, you uh, ground everything back into natural uh, religion, into <laughs> natural theology. And in this yep. in this paper, you said there's a sense in which the United States was founded on natural yeah. religion. Uh, it, can you help us like to, to what to what degree? Uh, yeah, let me show you here. This is a came. Oh, it's not going to show up because of the blurring thing. Huh? The Cambridge go. Companion to the First Amendment. Yeah. Uh, and I, when I was a student, especially undergrad, I love the Cambridge Companions. Yeah. So then I got a chance to edit one of them. It's pretty epic. Said, this is great. I want to, yeah. I want to edit one of them. And so where we did the first amendment and specifically the religion clauses and my chapter in there is about the, the, the claims in the declaration of independence that we, we hold these truths to be self-evident that we're created mm-hmm. and endowed with rights. And I pointed out the United States is founded on, on natural theology. Yeah. It doesn't cite the Bible. It doesn't say because of Genesis chapter one, we think these things. Right. Uh, it's very specifically saying these are things you can know by the nature of things or from general revelation. Yeah. And so that's why I argue we're, we're founded on those principles. And that means I think of the protection clauses mostly in terms of protection to do natural theology. It almost always comes down to in the news revealed religion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Should we allow revealed religion into the schools or should we allow revealed religion, the Ten Commandments on the courthouse? But what about natural theology? Can we know? I think we can know the Ten Commandments from natural revelation. Mm. That's 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 really fascinating, man. I'm sure there's people who've made that point before and I just don't know about it. But, yeah, you're right. It's always about yeah special revelation. But it's like, yeah, like philosophy of religion type stuff. Like, you know, yeah. can, can you talk about those? Because you're using reason. And yeah, and, um, yeah, that is really fascinating. We could go, we could make, we could go a long ways showing the nature of God, human nature, the human condition as a sinner, yeah. and our need for redemption. Yeah, without well, just that, just brings us to special revelation. We could do all that without ever citing scripture, and we should learn how to do that. That's what our students should learn how to do. Yeah, I, I guess uh, for those who aren't uh, who aren't familiar with this, we should define. You know, what is natural religion? What do we mean by yeah. this? Yeah, good, good point because. That might sound like deism to some people, right? Uh, or nature religion, like where you're worshiping the sun and the yeah. moon and and rivers and forests. And de- depending uh, on who you've read on the on the founding fathers, you know they were all rabid deists, or they yeah. were super uber Christians. So like, depends yeah. on who you've read about it. Yeah, yeah. So so general revelation means what all people at all times can know about God. Mm. And special revelation or redemptive revelation means scriptures, written revelation about and and the topic is redemption. Yeah. So general revelation, when we study general revelation, it's called natural theology. So the body of works studying general revelation is called natural theology or natural religion. I'm using those interchangeably because the idea is that someone like Abraham, who didn't have the Bible, at best he had Genesis 1 through 11, Hmm. can come to know the true God and know that the gods of his country are all false gods. They're idols. Right. Yeah, and we're we, we're in that same boat in that one sense. Like uh, that's what I call the school of Abraham. We need to enroll in the school of Abraham and learn how to do that ourselves. And yeah. so that's what I argued for in that chapter. Yeah, you um you also mentioned a phrase that I couldn't let go, and I had to get you to talk about um, talking about thinking presuppositionally. And you say that just means to think of what is less basic in light of what is more basic. Can you help us? Yeah. Uh, what is thinking? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. I mean, if you're in Christian studies at all, apologetics, philosophy, you'll you'll immediately hear the word presupposition and think Van Til. Mm-hmm. But you're going to find Aristotle, Aquinas, John Locke, Descartes, all talking about our presuppositions, because that just means we, we have a supposition, which means a belief. So a presupposition are the beliefs before that one that logically support it. Yeah. And so a lot of our fights in our culture are about things, I would say they're occurring at like the eighth or ninth level. Yeah. But they have so eight or nine presuppositions underneath them, which we never discuss. And really, our most basic presuppositions, the ones we start with, are in the realm of natural theology. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And uh, there's, yeah, there's so many ways that Vantilians ought, ought to address that. It's either like, hey, 
Van Til saying the same thing that these guys have been saying. Well, then you get like lose some uniqueness, or you say, no, it's it's different, it's brand new, and it's like, well, then you have to deal with what Aristotle was doing and stuff too. Mm-hmm. It's it's a well, fascinating what, yeah, one for them. Yeah, what Van Til re- did was he kind of brought to a lot of Christians' attention the form of an argument called the transcendental argument, right. which is a unique form. Yeah. Uh, but he was getting it from Kant because Kant is the one who really re- revived the transcendental argument in the modern world. Mm-hmm. But Aristotle is probably the first person to have given one. Yeah. For, and so for Aristotle non- gave contradiction, right? Yeah. Now, for the law of non-contradiction. Yeah. So I think Aristotle that, you know, I critique Aristotle, but I'm happy to tell you when I think he's got good arguments. And that's one of his solid arguments. For sure. But the way Van Til uses it, I've got some questions about because sure. what he says is you got to presuppose the Bible. Yeah to know anything else. And so what I would say is, well, you mean, of course, the truths in the Bible, mm-hmm. not, not a physical book. Yeah, yes, right. the truths. Right. And many of those are known from natural revelation. Yes. And you know any of them by using reason. Yeah. Yes. So you're really back to Aristotle's transcendental yeah. argument. You got to yeah. presuppose reason to get anywhere. Yeah, that's good. That's fascinating. Um, okay. So yeah, we're thinking, we're thinking uh, presuppositionally, we're looking at natural revelation. Um, what, so, well, here's what, here's something shocking. Yeah. All right. I like to shock your audience. Uh, keeps them on the edge of their seat because they're wondering, when's Anderson going to say something shocking? Well, right. Here it is. Yeah. The first, or at least the most famous in secular history, religious trial was Socrates. Oh, man, I had it in my notes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, good. So we think of him as, you know, us philosophers love to talk about him because we, we feel we feel like we get some great, and if anyone doesn't like us, I'm like Socrates, right? Exactly. They didn't like him either. Exactly. But, but I'm kind of taking it in a different direction. I'm pointing out, he was being persecuted for teaching other gods than the city recognized. And for his, he received special revelation, he thought, from the god Apollo. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been through a drunken priestess who, who, who gets drunk and hears some spirit talk to her and then tells his disciple. So these are, these are he has special revelation and he has general revelation truth claims, yeah. bringing them to the Athenians, and the Athenian leaders are upset about that. So that's a religious trial. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And um, that's... It, it hit on a, a point that I'm, I said I'm learning in my uh, class about ancient philosophy as a way of life and how it, it did function more in like a, a religious way than we would like to think today. Um, and so that's, it's fascinating to, to say like, yeah, this is a, I think you said it's like a paradigm, a paradigm example of a religious trial, Socrates. It's yeah. Cause it, and it ends up in, you know, persecution to the point of death for him. Yeah. Now here's, here's the problem. All right. I think Socrates was wrong. Yeah, I think he should have known better than listening to the god Apollo speaking through a probably drunk priestess. Yeah, there's two options for her. She they they spoke in this cave, and so people say either she would get drunk or that there was a kind of crack in the cave with these gaseous fumes that would come up, and she'd breathe them in and become you know kind of tipsy or something. Yeah, either way, that's how the spirit spoke through her. Yeah. And so what I was doing is I was both setting Socrates up, but also critiquing him as a natural theologian and saying. He could have known the same things Abraham did, yeah. and, he, and he failed. Yeah. Well, okay. So we have we have this natural religion, uh, natural theology, you know, interchangeable. Um, when we get to the, like the Declaration of Independence, here here's a particular question for you, which I think is is going to be illuminating. Um, so we got the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with unalienable rights. And you break that down. You say there's three parts here. There's epistemological, mm-hmm. metaphysical, and and ethical. When it comes to epistemology, a lot of my analytic epistemology type folks uh, listening, they get triggered when you make classical philosophical claims or strong internalist claims. Um, what? How do you? Um, how do you think about um, self-evident truths based um, from your strong internalist? You have to show yeah. it if you know it, type thing. Yeah. Well, so the the I, I'm willing to give the Declaration of Independence a little bit of leeway on this one. The truth of the matter is it's not self-evident at all, the things they say. Interesting. And so I think a better translation in there, I mean, that's the word they use, but a better (laughs) word for them would have been, it's commonly accepted among all of us. Like when I'm speaking to another person in 1776, I don't have to argue with that person that God created us. Okay. So it's commonly accepted. I think that's what they meant. Would you go with like common sense then? Like if this is common yeah, sense belief it was or, by common sense, or common yep. sense uh, knowledge? Okay. Yep. If we want to be strict and go with self-evident, then I would say we all have to go all the way back to what Aristotle was doing. Only the laws of thought are self-evident. 
in a technical sense. And that's why he says you can really only prove them with a transcendental argument. When you, um, so in that te- more technical sense of self-evident, does that mean like it can't be uh, denied lest, you know, you're engaged in performative inconsistency or something? You can't, you can't state yeah. it without denying it? Yeah, you, I mean, you, you actually have to use it to yeah. make an argument against it. Yeah. It's the only thing like that. The Vantillians say the Bible's like that, but it isn't. Mm. At most, the truths in the Bible are like that. Yeah. But you, you literally think about the law of identity. You say, I reject the law of identity. So each word in my sentence also means what it doesn't mean. Right. It, I mean, so what does your sentence mean? Well, it doesn't mean what it means. Right. And it also does mean what it means. What? Yeah. So, so if that's the sense of self-evident, like the technical sense is like, well, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Um, that that wouldn't be in the same category as the law of identity. You're saying? Yeah, it's not. It's not self-evident. Now, the the confession might use a different term and say self-attesting. It might say the the scriptures are self-attesting. I think those are different. And here's what the this the. the uh, the uh, confession says in 1.4 mm-hmm. is that the Bible is self-attesting because it's the word of God. Yeah. Now I think it's using the word word of God there the way John uses it in chapter one. The Bible is not the only word of God. There's also the eternal word of God, the son of God. Yeah. And there's also the word of God incarnate. Mm-hmm. And so the truth of the matter is the Bible is the only book on earth that claims to be the word of God. Mm-hmm. The, the Hindu scriptures are pantheistic. Uh, Confucius says there is no God. Uh, Buddhist teaches that all is one, all is suffering. Are you saying that the closest the, you'll the, get? Yeah. Are you saying the Quran's not because it's been mediated? The, I was going to say the closest you'll get are books that are derivative on yeah. the Bible. Yeah. So the two big ones is Quran and Book of Mormon, and there's some others. Yeah. But then you have to look into the specifics of are they rejecting the eternal son of God? I think they, those do, right? Yeah. The Quran would very, the Muslims would say, yes, of course, we don't believe that there's an eternal son of God who died for your sins. And, and the Mormons would say, well, there is, but he's one of many sons. Lucifer's another son. Right. We are other sons. So the Bible is the only book that makes this claim. I think that's what it means by self-attesting. It's not as if you have to look very far. Hmm. So, so in that same sense, could we say that, um, well, okay, the the Bible's the word of God, so it's self-attesting. I'm made in God's image. Could my, you know, image of God be self-attesting as well? You recognize Well, there is some you? sense in which when you say things consistent with the word of God, you're speaking that eternal truth. Yeah. Right? Now, you can never say I'm infallible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big mistake for yeah. any, any church officer. I don't have to name any of them, but if any church officer says at some point they're infallible, that's a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, Puritans pointed out that when you're giving a sermon and you're preaching the Bible, that's the word of God you're preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm trying, trying to use the self attestation type language to, to say like, can you, can you just look at a human and just recognize like this is an image bearer? I mean, you look at a baby a human and you look at a baby, maybe just a full grown pig. And you're like, well, I can eat that one and I can't eat this one. And it's like commonsensical or maybe because we're wired that way or, you know, what do you, yeah. how do you explain that, that recognition? I guess. I think when we say baby, we mean undeveloped, whatever it is, right? Yeah. A baby cat, a baby pig, a baby yeah, yeah, horse, yeah. a baby tree. And so we don't mean a fully developed, whatever it is. So when you say a baby human, you know, that has the rights of a human, even though it's not yet developed. And those rights, so you you don't. <laughs> we're going all over the place. This is good. It's good though, right? That's no, what it's so about. good. I'm just just acknowledging how funny it is. <laughs> so you you don't um, you don't uh, engage in cannibalism, um, not because it's another member of your species, but because it's made in God's image, right? Like, who cares if you eat someone of your species? Like, pigs can eat pigs. Like, no yeah, problem there. Yeah, yeah. Right? They don't have any prohibition like that. Right. I, I used to own chickens, and and you know, if you're not careful, they'll go after each other and yeah. eat each other. Yeah. And so I think, um, yeah, the prohibition is in two senses. First sense is we're told to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Yeah. Not diminish by eating each other. <laughs> That's a good point. And, right? Yeah. And then the second one is the question might kind of take for granted the fact that we even eat animals. Mm. Maybe we should even think that's weird. I don't mean in the sense of right now we stop doing it, but I mean in the sense of the promise for us is it will return to the way it was in the beginning. Yeah. The lion will lay down with the ox and eat straw. Yeah, they will, but we're going to be snacking the on them. Well, well I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's the rest. It's, a, it's going back to before we were given animals. To they're they're going to be busy with each other. They won't see us sneaking up on. on... Yeah, you'll have such good. Uh, what, what do they do now? Pomegranate and chickpea meat. 
It'll oh, so is that what tasty. they do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I I, no. I think C.S. Lewis talks about like like uh like meat coming down from like the trees and stuff in different mm-hmm. worlds and it's like, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, well, who knows what these trees were like where they were going to be fed from them, right? right? I don't think it's limited to the ones we currently have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I don't I don't think we'll be disappointed, but the point is just that even eating other animals in God's creation isn't the order isn't the original way things are but yeah when it comes to a human we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply yeah well okay so so we we slipped back into like natural or a special special revelation there by saying yeah. like you know uh, be fruitful and multiply is yeah. there how do we do it from just natural uh revelation natural religion saying like yeah. someone's made in god's image yeah i think you could well i think you could know that that call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth from natural revelation also okay we're filling the earth with believers. So the earth is filled with the knowledge of God. Mm. But you're right also that um, I, I think we could know that the world was very good because it was made by God, who's perfectly good and powerful. And so the entrance of natural evil isn't original. It came after the creation. Yeah. And so the uh, eating of other creatures that, that requires suffering and death, a fruit, a, tr- a tr- fruit that's on a tree doesn't suffer and die. Right. When you eat it, right? Um, you might say, "Well, the vegetables do." When you eat them, you eat the whole plant or something. And you can look at: is there a difference between a plant and an animal? I think there is. Sure. Um, so I think you could already have some problems raised about the, the reality of natural evil in the world. But then you're right. I think the next step would be to go: this is this isn't just another physical being made of flesh. This is something that has a rational soul, and their yeah. death means more than the animal death. I guess, I guess, I, I guess I'm probably thinking of like from a third person looking at them and trying to, but if you're speaking, you know, second person to them, you're going to recognize this is a thing like me. And this is much different than the pig who can't speak. And, you know, a dolphin who is, you know, even if we anthropomorphize them, don't have any kind of language like us. Mm-hmm. So even in, even in speaking to someone second personally, you can start to recognize like, this is a different thing. Yeah, well, I, and I guess what I would do is I like to I like to look at the presuppositions. Yeah, and I'm thinking about myself like, what is the person? What is the subject doing? So maybe they're on an island, and they're hungry, and they see this other person, and they, that's the only thing around to eat. You can't eat a palm tree, mm-hmm. and so they're wondering, can I eat this this thing? I think that's the wrong question. I'd be asking myself, where's God? Hmm. Uh, can God provide for me? If I'm thinking that I'm going to die because I don't have anything to provide for me, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So I'm going through my mind something like this. What was Jesus thinking in the desert when he was fasting and he was tempted by Satan to make bread? Mm-hmm. It says the spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness, which means he was putting himself in the hands of the spirit. He would know that the Messiah doesn't starve to death in the desert. Mm-hmm. So the, he's going day after day, another day, and he's getting hungry and hungry. But he would know, I'm not going to starve to death out here. I'll be taken care of by the Spirit. Yeah. So when he's tempted, it's more a matter of personal comfort. Isn't it hard to be hungry? Just make some bread and eat it. Hmm. Don't trust the Lord. So I'm wondering about this subject that we're talking about. Does this person trust the Lord? Mm-hmm. Maybe they have no relationship with God at all. That's their problem. And they need spiritual bread, not physical bread. Do you think you can get... Um, so I don't know. If you play up the natural religion too much it's like what do we need special revelation for at all you know like can you can you have this yeah. relationship with god through special revelation i think you can get really far with general revelation however that's the big boogeyman general. yeah sorry yeah with general revelation you get really far yeah a lot farther than we've been doing but i think the big boogeyman is someone like christian wolf a german philosopher who said you really don't need the bible at all you can know everything from general revelation yeah and he was the 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 role model for kant yep. before kant read hume before he's awoken yeah yeah so the big scary thing for Christians since his time is, oh, no, there might be someone who says we can do too much with reason alone. Yeah. And so therefore we should neglect it. No, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we can be told the particular truths of how God will redeem us without special revelation. Okay. So, for example, God clothed Adam and Eve with the coats of skin, mm-hmm. meaning an animal had to be sacrificed. Something had to die that to cover the, their sin. Yeah. yeah, that was the first instance of it. And we wouldn't know that if we hadn't been told that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the thing about this one, all the things I've said Abraham could know, here's what he couldn't have known. Abraham, now I know you will not withhold your son, your only son. Mm. He's given a glimpse into what God himself will do, which we couldn't know that if we weren't told that by God. So it's a difference between being shown things in creation and being told specifically what God has decided to do to redeem us. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's interesting about uh, uh, Wolf uh, because depending on who you read in Kant's studies, Kant did a very similar thing. You know, he critiques pure reason, but then in his, uh, I don't know, critique of judgment or something or metaphysics of morals, he, he goes in on natural religion in a way that's like, this sounds like you're just reading from, you know, a Christian book. Um, yeah. But he's all over the place. Uh, do you think that we have innate concepts? Like, did God preload us with concepts that are able to uh, see the world a certain way? Or, you know, were you like, you know, tabula rasa coming in? Yeah, so let me give an example of the concept of eternal, which means without beginning mm -hmm. and therefore without end, but without beginning. So something could be everlasting, meaning it had a beginning and no end. Yeah. But I'm talking about eternal, had no beginning. Right. Yeah. I think that's sort of our first concept we begin with. Thinking logically, I mean. I don't know if it's our first temporal concept chronologically. Oh, sure, but logically, yeah. But logically, that's our first one. Okay. It's where it's where philosophers begin. What's eternal? Every religion will be distinguished by teaching something different about what's eternal. And that's why when Socrates speaks of God, he's not speaking at all about Yahweh. Or when Aristotle speaks about God, this is not Yahweh. They have very different views about what's eternal. Okay. So were we born with that? Or, or did God implant it in us? Or did we learn it empirically? I have to, I mean, I lean towards the former because you can't learn about eternal, infinite, unchanging empirically. Couldn't you just learn those it from who, like, a, like, a, like a negation? Like, oh, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, those, the via negativa, yeah. those like Aquinas who are empiricists will say we only know it negatively and then they'll admit we really don't know much about it at all. <laughs> sure. And so I think that's a mistake. Okay. And I think the other view is, yeah, we, we have this concept of eternal, but here's another mistake that comes with it, which Vantillians often make. Hmm. They'll say, because we have a concept like eternal, everybody knows God. Yeah. Well, hold on a minute. That's not the same at all, because we have lots of beliefs about what's eternal. When you say God in the biblical sense, you mean Yahweh, who's a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchanging, and being, wisdom, power. Most people have rejected that view. Mm -hmm. They believe something else, like like uh, the Aristotelian Amu Mover and, and matter are both eternal. Yeah. And so we do all have the concept of eternal. But maybe it's more like what John Calvin says, which is we're, we're, we're idle factories, I-D-O-L, not I-D-L-E, mm -hmm. idle factories. And we take this concept of eternal and we apply it to all kinds of things that it shouldn't be applied to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good, man. Um, yeah. Okay. This is so good. <laughs> There's so many places I want to chase, but I want to go back yeah, to, um, I want to go back to you know, self-evident or I don't know, self-attesting or, you know, commonsensical. Um truths that all men are created equal um we've got like the epistemology kind of when I mean, we talked about it a little bit how about like the metaphysics yeah, and ethics yeah metaphysics and ethics yeah what i said about that sentence from the declaration is why it's so helpful is it does a couple things one is it shows how our foundational beliefs for civilization for culture are going to be about god and the human condition yeah that's where we start every civilization has that what's nice about the declaration is it's explicit yeah but then I also said what's nice is it recognizes that we have to deal in these three areas, authority, which is how I know, and then metaphysics, which is what is real, and ethics, which is what is good. Mm. And so it, so metaphysically, what it's saying is the, the basic truth is that we're created by God, which is Genesis 1-1 or John 1-1. So there's God who's eternal, and there's the creation which isn't eternal. Everything starts there. Yeah. And I think that's a great insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to uh, totally, man. And it's right there in our founding documents. Uh, and it's kind of tough to talk about if you press it a little bit. Like, what do you mean? Like, I can, I think this, but I'm a Christian theist, man. Why, yeah. why do you think that, you know, yeah. uh, pushing that on someone else? So going going to like the First Amendment, that's kind of what the, I mean, the whole dust up kind of followed. Um, depending on who you ask, it's either freedom of religion or freedom of speech, but it's kind of both. So I want to just read. Oh yeah. And press freedom of the press too. Right. Exactly. Really no like, one talks. Like about when you the put press. this on YouTube, that's called publishing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And YouTube's a private entity though. So if, if, they, yeah. if we, we get too, if you sound too conservative, true. they're going to take us off. Um, the first amendment provides that Congress make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting its free exercise. And so it, you know, it protects uh, freedom of speech, the press assembly and the right to petition, petition the government for a redress of grievances, um, which is fantastic, man. That's a good amendment. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I wonder, uh, we talked about post-millennialism last time, just a couple of days ago. And I wonder 
if uh if the freedom of speech is like a christian principle because you think about old testament it doesn't seem like it is uh a value for Israel to have freedom of speech to talk about God in yeah. the way they want, right? Or, or, or am I wrong? I'm glad you brought that, that up yeah. because there, there's some call in maybe some conservative or maybe far conservative circles to say, yeah, we need to go back to like pre-Westphalian Europe yeah. where we have Christian monarchs ruling us. Right. And they'll tell us we got to go to church on Sundays. Yeah. Um, and we don't need the freedom. The, 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 the First Amendment is just because of skepticism. Mm -hmm. Now, I actually make that same case about skepticism, not the first part, in this. Okay. To say, yeah, the problem is you had Europe with different Christians. And then and as it expanded, you have other world religions also coming in. And so in that stage of history, you have to have something like the First Amendment. But it's a means and not an end. It's a means to encouraging us to reason together, mm -hmm. to think through a process just like a scientist would, a mathematician would, when they go to their societies and they present evidence and arguments and they argue with each other. That's what we should be doing about God. Yeah. And we should come to conclusions. We should come to know the truth of the matter and agree about it just like we do that two plus two is four. Yeah. So if we get stuck, and I think we are stuck, I think we're at a stage where people think the First Amendment is an end in itself. And you just, you just always have the right no matter what you do, instead of saying, well, after 200 and let's say 250-ish years, we should have already come to the conclusion about these things. We should know what's eternal and what isn't eternal. Each of us could know that within our lifespan, let alone yeah. multiple generations. Well, there's a okay, so there's a couple of ways to chase that then. So one would be... Um... One would be okay. So, like, uh, there's there's some like free willy folks out there, libertarian free willists, uh, who would say like, look, we're gonna still have free will in heaven, and we'll still have the ability to sin, but we'll never want to. Blah blah blah. And so, you still have the ability, even though you'll never act on it. And I wonder if the same kind of thing applies here, where the First Amendment was great, you know, 200 years ago, um, but if we all came to know the Lord through natural revelation and then went to special and all became Christians, would you, would we change the law then to say like, no blaspheming God? Or would we say like, you still have the ability, but no one's going to want to because everyone's Christians now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really like that second one for a number of our issues. Okay. Like, like in other words to say, you know what, make it all legal and no one wants to do it. Yeah. I'm really sad that people really want to do some of these things. <laughs> Uh, and that's what I want to address. I don't think you change anything. And, and that's, I have a whole section in this article, this chapter that you're talking about, yeah. about Thomas Jefferson's view yeah. of forcing people into church. And, and he says, you just make hypocrites mm -hmm. on Sundays because yeah. they sit in church and they don't want to, they're only there because they don't want to pay a tax. Yeah. So I'm not interested in that political level. I'm interested in the spiritual level of persuasion and addressing the, our deep, deepest needs. Yeah. But let's say everyone comes around, everyone says, yeah, it's clear God exists. It really wouldn't matter either way then if you pass a law, right? Or don't. Yeah, um, for sure. It'd be like me telling you, hey, have an awesome mustache. <laughs> yeah, a, like, it's a law. Okay. Yeah. Already done. Well, so some people will, thanks, by the way. That's nice. Um, some some people will, like, uh, every now and then, Joe Rogan makes really good points, especially when he's talking about wrestlers or maybe jujitsu. I know. But <laughs> he's got this, he's got this, um, it's not from him, but he brings it up a lot. And he says, um, if you don't exercise the right, then you will lose it. Um, or, or, you know, it becomes like atrophied and people won't know how to do it when it, when it comes time. And he usually is talking about that in, in, uh, context of talking about comedians who say just yeah. awful, terrible things, but it's like, Hey, look, yeah. you got to push the boundary. What yeah. do you make about like, you know, stretching our, our legs there by ab abusing, not, not abusing, but using it in ways that feel like abuse in our social context, because it seems impolite or something like that. Yeah. Okay. For, for the I sake of doing it. Yeah. I think it just shows that he has a very limited imagination hmm. and I'm, I'm happy to go on his show. I'll put it, I'll put that out there right yeah, now. Me too. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> no, me first, me first. That's good. Uh, no, all three of us could roll together. How's that? Sound? You bring Eddie Bravo, be Eddie so Bravo good, will come man. and That'd be great. Yeah, the four of us will, but no, the thing is, I think he has a limited imagination. And what I mean is I think it'd be more shocking hmm. to tell an audience it's clear to reason God exists and you're in the sin of unbelief. Than it is to get into profanity. That stuff's like boring now. Yeah. 
That is Whereas, kind of the new, the new like, yeah, the new rebel. Let's actually be shocking. Yeah, the new rebel is like, you know, get married young and have like seven kids. It's like, yeah. whoa, you freak, get away from me. I talk about that with my students. I would say because in the in the fifties, the rebel was a guy who wears just a white shirt, which is your underwear, not not this stuff, just right. your white shirt and jeans, and he rolls his cigarettes up in his sleeve yeah. and he drives a motorcycle. Now the rebel is a guy who's like in the library reading Plato. Right, totally. <laughs> like, oh, did you hear about the rebel? He's in there reading Plato again. That's crazy. <laughs> That's so good. Because um, everyone's doing the other one. Yeah. And he has no tattoos, I heard. That's crazy. Easy. No tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's another one. And so, dude, part of the reason that I said this is going to be hairy for me is, be like I said, um, you have kind of like the traditional boomery type folks who I love and who, you know, a big part of my support system. So I love you guys. But um they're, they're kind of more just like God and uh, I love God and I love the flag. And you ask them kind of questions about the two and if they go together or not. And they don't, they never thought about that. But then you have like the um, really far right type Christian dudes. And then there's like this term Christian nationalism, what the heck, whatever that means. But there's different, all these different groups over on the right. And then there's all the lefties like, okay, they're obviously going to attack. So I'm like trying to balance but I, I, in my head, I've got the um, super hardcore dude who's like, we ought to Christianize this nation. It started as a Christian nation, and we need to get back there. And it's like a little scary, yep. a little blood and soil type stuff. Should we like, thinking of the Great Commission, we're called to disciple the nations. Should we disciple this nation into like a Christian one or into like a natural uh, revelation one? Does that make sense? I know you might say, well, they're both, right? But Yeah, that's where I think we do need to save natural revelation from deism. Yeah. So I think if we properly understand natural revelation, we'd understand our, our own condition as sinners. And I think you'd know from natural revelation that you can't do anything about it. You're alienated from God. If it's going to be fixed, he has to do something about it. Mm. And that's what it means for the Bible to be self-attesting. It's the only book that is even claiming to tell you how you can be reconciled to God. Yeah. Um, so let yeah. me give an example Please. here. Yeah. When, when people were, were, when faculty were saying, don't bring conservatives to campus, one analogy they use is that they have phobias, so they're mentally ill. Mm -hmm. But the other analogy they'll use is they'll say, well, you want to bring like a flat earther into an astronomy class. So in other words, it's very condescending. The idea is that it's so patently false, just like a flat earther. I don't know why you but wouldn't do that. Would of, course, of course I would want to bring in a flat earther though. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is, the very fact that people are looking on the internet and getting kind of interested in flat earth tells me they don't know the arguments yeah. about the earth as a sphere and as the earth going around the sun in people like Copernicus, Galileo, yeah. Kepler. Yeah. What I want to do, any of us can learn those arguments. Yeah. That's what they got the great book series behind you. It's got all those right. thinkers read their arguments and learn them. I want my students to know why we think that yeah. and how we can know those things. And so the flat earther comes in and my students have no problem. They say, no, here's the three co easy contradictions in your theory based on these observable facts. You don't even need a high power telescope yeah. to learn these things. Well, and if, so, if one of the, if one of the students goes, you know what? I like it. I'm all on board. And it's like, oh, I've exposed them to say, it's like, well, no, I, if they want to believe that they can believe that they're going to have to go through me first. But if you want mm -hmm. to continue, like they were going to believe that anyways, then, you know? So, well, yeah, that's another point Thomas Jefferson made is, it doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg. You know, how does that affect me? Yeah. Um, I'm not like the busybody who's in control of people's minds no, and tells them what to, to think. All I do it, yeah. is teaches them how teach them the laws of logic. They can use it. Here's some beliefs to use it on. Yeah. And and from there they have they have their own personhood and agency. Yeah. And I think that 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 gets lost nowadays, where it's more like mother hen type stuff. Uh, of like, and, and I understand, I, I do understand where you're coming from, where like you want to protect these people. I get it. But also like you protect them too much and they're not able to think well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm not sure what the protection is, honestly, in the sense that it's ideas. No one should ever be threatened physically. There's no yeah. doubt about that. That's absolutely wrong. But you're being told someone thinks that your beliefs are false. Now, I think one reason why it comes up is that I think this identity stuff is a lot like religion. Mm. And I think that they that it's like being told your religion's mistaken. And that can be very jarring. Sure. But you got to live through it. I've been told that a thousand, <laughs> thousands upon thousands of times in my life. Yeah. And here I am. Yeah. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. So you, you just got to get through it. Of course, there are people who think Christianity is false. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so going back to it then, um, do you think that... We should be pushing 
Uh, oh yeah. To to, to make That's it right. like nat- yeah question. natural revel- natural religion. Uh, no, I think like I, I was going down that line, yeah. and I was saying, knowing our condition as need of of sin, it'd be like diagnosing cancer and telling and not and saying, hey, there's a cure, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Mm. No, what's well, what's the cure? I'm alienated from my creator. I, I'm I'm lost what? unless something I mean reconciles yeah. me to God. So I mean, like, dude, I mean, I work on college campuses, like as a, a, a campus mi- missionary. So like, I I I'm down for that, but I'm also not trying. My job is not it's not in my job description to try and change like campus laws to mm-hmm. to yeah. you know to make people come to you know our Bible studies. So I'm wondering if there yeah. is that you know church and state separation. I know that that gets blown up and it gets mm-hmm. misinterpreted and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if, if that's still in play, you know, if, if we yeah. ought to still respect that. Yeah. So that, that goes back to what we were saying before about the idea of maybe you have a Christian monarch who makes you go to church on right. Sundays. And we were asking like, well, if everyone's already going to church, then it won't matter if there's a law about it. And I would go down that path more. What I would say is here's what would really fascinate me. You governors, senators, presidents are all also individuals who stand before God. Mm-hmm and need to be reconciled to God through Christ alone. And so they're free to comment on those things without it being law. So you could have a senator who says, you know what? Uh, the only way for me to be reconciled to God, he could say this publicly, is through Christ. And I, I strongly encourage you to look into that yourself because you need to be reconciled to God also. Yeah. Um, so I think that the government officials can be great examples. They can encourage us to do things that might be more powerful than if there was a law passed. Yeah. Like what if what if a presidential debate was about who can show it's clear God exists? <laughs> or yeah, uh, another shocking one is like, what if they were our moral exemplars? And everyone's like, huh? Yeah, no, right? a senator. Yeah, right. Now they say, hey, we're not moral examples. <laughs> I know, man. Well, I I posted yeah. on Twitter the other day about this, and I just asked, hey, should your should my ethics teacher should my ethics professor be a good person? And yeah, it's great. Know, and it's just like I'm just just curious, and people are freaking out. Like, really? Yeah, and they're like, no, no, the two are separate, and stuff. It's like, well, that's not what most, you know, philosophers thought back in the day. Um, yeah. And I understand there's a distinction between like behavior and knowledge, but shouldn't shouldn't if shouldn't they be held to a higher standard if they have more knowledge? You know, so it's just a question. Well, about I think that. I think you're right, but I think actually the ethics professors people might be thinking of are skeptics. Mm. So they do teach about ethics, but at the end of the day, they say we can't know, and their lives. Yeah, are consistent with that. But if there is a fact of the matter and they're wrong, then they are fal- they're teaching falsely, and they should be held to a stand. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, yeah, that's wild. I, I'm I'm a big believer in voting with your feet. Yeah. So I'm a big believer just in the fact that's why I said about free speech. Get all the views out there. Let it, let them present themselves because I think when it comes down to it, if you have an unsound argument, it's not going to be satisfied, and people are going to leave. Yeah. I, so if you you have two you have two officials, and uh, one of them is a complete skeptic and doesn't know what is good, and the other one can prove to you what is good, yeah, well, that's a big deal. Now there is a quote though from Martin Luther. He was being pressured by Charles V, Emperor Charles V, because the Turks were attacking Europe, and he was saying, "Look, if you divide us about this, we'll be internally divided. We won't be able to stand against our opponent." Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, the quote is, "I'd rather be ruled by a competent Turk." Than an incompetent Christian, hmm. and so he was recognizing that there's things that you can do in the government and have competency and not even be a Christian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that seems so obvious to us today, um, but maybe not because I don't know that anyone in government is competent. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The principles like, well, we don't have any competent people <laughs> that's right. right now. That's right. Um, well, that is interesting how we have great, great dissatisfaction. Although, the, here's what the numbers show. I think, generally speaking congressional representatives in their district are have good have good polling numbers mm. but when you ask an american about congress in general yeah it has like a nine percent of rate, really low yeah but if then you say what about this congressman is the one in your district they have pretty good numbers yeah i mean i live in illinois so mine i'm i don't <laughs> i don't like them but uh yeah i could see how why most people that's where you live that's how, you, how most people voted so that makes sense um in the meantime before so i kind of like to ground up like hey you know make more christians talk with people about 
Christianity. Talk with them about their beliefs. Like talk. That's really a good thing. Don't force whatever, of course, but talk. And then, you know, the society will change or not from that. But in the meantime, we still got to make laws. So we make laws based on general revelational principles or do we sneak in like Christian specific special revelation laws? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think there could be room for saying some things really are important to the human condition. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, church is really important for you to learn how to be reconciled to God. It's only through the preaching of the word that you'll learn how to do that. Yeah. A government official could say that without passing a law that makes you do it. Right. So, again, I'm still a big, still a big fan of the, the persuasion side of things. Because I think what that does, it's affirming our human dignity as thinkers. Yeah, We're not just to be coerced as animals. Now, the counter argument will always come back. Well, what, so we don't say we don't have laws against murder or theft. Yeah. Uh, I think that's specifically what the civil government is for, is for violence against my person or property. So, so when you go to ground those, though, are you grounding those in general revelation? What I just said about civil government? Yeah, a murder. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, violence against my person or property is what is what is protected i mean that's the reason why they had property owners voting at first right I, I don't know that it was was bigotry i think it was the what the government protects is property yeah and so the people who own the property are the ones who decide how the government's going to protect them mm -hmm. yeah i've heard that yeah they had like a stake in the game but i like the way you said it better um i've also heard so i guess since we're being controversial already i've also heard that like men male property owners were supposed to represent their families and it was supposed to be, yeah, this there's is a the, family representation. Yeah. And I, but also who's going to go to war. If this turns into a war, who's going? Yeah. It's them to be killed. Um, men, right. Yeah. But I, I kind of like like the unity of the family where it's like, I don't yeah. know, dude, it's kind of weird to be like, yeah, me and me and this lady I live with, we radically, you know, we are completely opposed politically. It's like, wow. Probably aren't doing family worship. Right. And it's like, well, ideally, you guys would be, though, right? And it's like, well, no, how dare you? It's like, no, no, like, ideally, you guys would be coming yeah. together as one and agree. You well, know? they not if there's not a truth of the matter. That's like saying you and your wife have to like the same ice cream. Yeah, right. If it's just preferences. But if it's the truth of the matter, then you're absolutely right. But yeah. they've, they've been living in skepticism so long, they don't even recognize that. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, the fact that Marx and Lenin took so much effort to just, to say the nuclear family is the problem. Mm -hmm. Like if the family's just not a big deal one way or the other, why do they spend so much time attacking it? Yeah. As a foundation of society. Yeah. Um, dude, it's good to talk with you about this stuff because you're a philosopher. I, I'm I'm like squeamish right now because I I know the people a lot of people will parrot these arguments or they'll talk about Marx and they just they don't, they've never read Marx or they don't have any yeah. idea what they're talking about. Not that you have to read all of Marx, but it would be nice yeah, if you read some, you know. Read the Communist Manifesto, just read right, it. Right, right. And then you just I have a copy of it. I found this really old copy. It's in English, but it was published by the uh Chinese Communist Party. Huh. And it's 50 cents. So I thought, "Hey, that's kind of a historical item. Nice. It's original copy." And my daughter found it laying around. She's like, "Dad, why are you reading the Communist Manifesto?" And it was a great opportunity to tell her because I read all the ideas I can find. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so, okay, following back up, um, do you, hmm, I, I, will there be free speech in the new heavens and new earth? Like, will it matter, I guess? Yeah, it's interesting when you talked earlier about free will and you could have the ability but not want to. I'm, I guess, in my thinking, at the basic level, those collapse into the same thing. Mm. It'd be weird in my thinking about free will to say, I'll never want to, but I'm able to. No, I'm the same way. I'm a compatibilist. So I'm like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's right. But yeah. Yeah. Right. But so free, I mean, that kind of freedom, like that, that's the same question, right? Do I have, do I have free will in heaven? Um, I was thinking what you mentioned a moment ago. I think this is related. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned boomers or people who are in that audience and they are, you know, God and the flag. I think that's part of what's happened in the analogy I gave about flat earthers. Hmm. All of us just take for granted the yeah. earth is a sphere. None of us know the actual arguments. Yeah. So a group of people who take for granted that God is real, and then they just kind of tell you, your problem is you're not with God. You need to get with God and get your life right with God. But they don't have any proof that there even is a God. Yeah. That's just fideism, and it's really destructive. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in society is a reaction against that gross fideism. Well, doesn't it seem 
it seems judgmental, right? Because it's like you you're not with God. And you're like, well, tell me what that means. And they're like, well, you wouldn't be asking me that question if you were living right. And it's like, oh, you are just being like a moralist, but not a moralist Mm -hmm. in like a you can back it up with reasons type way. You're just saying I'm better than you. Yeah. And it and it it would be that and yeah, just I've got some rules. Cool hand Luke said, All I see are a bunch of guys laying down a bunch of rules. Mm. And so he was just basically, I'm not going to obey anymore. Like, yeah. why should I listen to your rules? Yeah. So yeah, that does get gross. And I, I wanted to, I want to give credit to that because we need to see if you've been doing fideism for a number of generations, don't be surprised that people react to that and go towards something else. Yeah. You've got to fill their lives with meaning and fideism doesn't do that. And so I think the, the real conflict you see beginning in the sixties, the cultural conflict was between skeptics and fideists. Yeah. And one way I'm kind of on the side of the skeptics because I'm saying, hey, I want proof. Mm -hmm. I do think there's proof, though. And so when I say it's clear that God exists, what's fascinating to me is the biggest pushback I get are from Christian fideists, not from skeptics. Mm -hmm. They say, man, I don't agree with you. I wish it was true, though. (laughs) And the fideists say, no, we don't have to do that at all. Uh, I was made by God to believe these things in the right kind of epistemic environment. Anything they can do. Yeah. Right. So to get out of it, but as the skeptics of most always say, yeah, that that's that sounds really nice, Anderson. I just don't think it's true. I think, in the most <clears throat> charitable light of uh, viewing the fideists, uh, it's like they want to protect grandma and they want to be like, dude, mm-hmm. grandma. Oh, I'm so glad you brought grandma. Yeah, we talked because that grandma literally before. is what comes up. hundred percent, and and, I, and I've talked with grandma. them over and over, and I get it. Um, do you think like, and I think I mean we've talked about this, but does does grandma? Ought grandma be able to demonstrate God's existence in the same to the same degree that a philosophy professor does? Well, let me. What brings to mind? Jesus said, "Suffer the little children to come unto me." Uh-huh. And so the same argument with grandma will be about children. It's always grandma and children. Jesus didn't say, "Prove God exists and then come to me." Mm-hmm. Granted, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Yeah. Not prove God exists, you'll be saved. Granted. Yeah. yeah. But then what we're told in in Hebrews six is. Grow up. Yeah. You don't stay at the level of bare confession and justification forever. You go through sanctification. So if what you're asking is, should grandma grow up? Yes. Should she be like a philosopher? Probably not, because most philosophers I know are skeptics about this point, and they can't do it. <laughs> should she be like Abraham and Sarah? Yeah. Sarah's commended also in Hebrews. Yes, she should be like Sarah. Yeah. Sarah was a grandma, and guess what? I bet she was pretty good on this stuff. Does... If they're following like Proverbs 31 and they're like, that's my goal in life. Does it, I don't think, mm-hmm. does Proverbs 31 say anything about demonstrating God's existence from natural? Well, I think what you'll find in, in comparing Greeks and, and Hebrews approach to philosophy, uh-huh. and I've come to appreciate and think the, the Hebrews are just right about this. The proof is it on the mat. Okay. The proof isn't how you live. So some, some guys sitting around in an orchard talking, eh, show me how you're going to live. Do you fear God? If you feared God, you'd live a certain way. So I think the Proverbs 31 woman is in that same vein. This Look at how she lives. She's supporting. Why is her husband sitting in the gates? Because he's a judge of the city. Mm. And he's judging the, he's basically judging court. Yeah. She sees why that's important. And she's supporting him in his protection of Israel by keeping the house. And she even has, well, I, I think, I don't like this term. They call it side hustles or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, right? That's a good term. She's got all these things that she's developing for sales, how to provide for her house. So she's industrious in the context of be fruitful, multiply, filling the earth right. and the law of God and the city of God. Yeah. That's a lot of context. People overlook when they think about her. Yeah. Um, so I think if you went to her and you said, why do you worship Yahweh and not Baal? I think she'd be really good about that, actually. Yeah. Okay. That's that's cool. I like that. Um, just finishing up here, thinking about the uh, the First Amendment, like, is this a... Is this a um, human issue uh, in general or is it like more particularly like should christians like be concerned about this because uh because of their christianity or because they're human beings i guess yeah i I think it's because we're humans i think one of the critiques right now is that the conservatives only care about the first amendment because they're losing Mm. so when they're in power they're all about legislating morality and forcing people to go to church but then when they're losing all of a sudden they care about the first amendment and they want us all to have the freedom to express ourselves Mm. so i I think you know that critique there's something to that critique actually because the question is what were you doing all that time were you legislating things and not proving them then you should be called out on that doesn't that cut both ways right like in the 90s or never when when all the lefties were skateboarders or you know video game programmers and 
they wanted free speech and then they've, yeah. they've switched. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, the left has sprinted the other direction and left a lot of people in the middle. And so maybe it's not true, but, but I think the, the critique cuts both ways. Whoever's in power is like, uh, you don't get to say what I don't want you to say. Yeah. I mean, that's an important part of the, the Federalist Papers and uh, Madison points out in those that you have to have a government that both the majority rules, yeah, but that you do have a protection of the minority. But what's weird is you could have the minority try to become tyrannical mm. by pushing, and he, he makes note of this, by pushing their rights against the majority. No, the majority rules mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the government uh, making laws, right? But the minority can be protected. You don't get to legislate them out of existence. Yeah, And, and those things do switch back and forth. We'll have eras of Republican dem- uh, presidents, eras of Democratic presidents. But I think what I would do is I would say the whole debate is wrong. Hmm. Uh, the whole debate is wrong because what I want to hear is show me that God exists, prove it. And maybe that's because I'm an Xer. So we talked about boomers and maybe we talk about millennials, but as an Xer, we're skeptics. We, we want you to prove stuff to us. And I'm not going to believe it if you don't show it to us. So we still have a little bit of that countercultural stuff in us. Yeah. But well, that's good. That's important. Yeah. You guys are pretty chill. So too. show me. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. You're. I think the Xers are. They might be the the ladies. A lot of the ladies might be the kind of the Karen memes, but at least the yeah. um, like I have plenty to say about millennials and Zoomers. Like you, they're nuts. But um, the Gen X dudes like pumping you up a little bit, man. They're, you guys are some of the coolest people I know right now. Just like you guys are just chill. Um, <laughs> maybe I, I guess there is. You guys still kind of have that countercultural thing, but you guys are usually like laid back about it, which I really yeah. appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to get too upset about it. That's the thing is uh, free speech and debate is not the same as free screaming and yelling. <laughs> so a lot of times free speech means I'm going to go somewhere with a sign and scream. Yeah. Well, no, go somewhere and have a debate about it. Go to, go to co- the coffee shop and, and debate uh, and, and have an exchange of ideas. So maybe that's the extra thing. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking about this idea of, of uh, not trusting authority. And I know that was the 60s also, but that therefore is still kind of in the Xers. And, and I think we have a real crisis of authority in our culture. People notice that because of government and election problems. Yeah. But I think that's the top of the very top of the iceberg. We don't even trust reason anymore. Mm. And, and some philosophers like Derrida are explicitly anti-logos. Yeah. So there's no authority anymore except for yourself and what you think at the moment. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you know this illustrates a point? Do you remember how in Daniel, if the king had said something, it's law, even if he wants to change it later? Yeah. He would, they were, the, so the, they were solving a problem that I just hinted at. Hmm. The problem is I change from moment to moment. And so my future self might disagree with my present self. Mm-hmm. Their problem was the king is God and God's unchangeable. And so if right now God says, blah, 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 that's eternally true. Hmm. Even future God can't change that. Yeah. And so we face that same problem now with our identity politics, where right now I think I'm this, but there's nothing binding me to reality about that. Hmm. It's just because I think I am. And so tomorrow's self might disagree with me. And now who's, who's right? My past self or my present self or my future self? Yeah. There's, there's a, I'm, I'm about to ask, like, how do you get around that? And I think you're going to say, well, show that God exists, right? Um, but like, if you had a community, uh, holding, not necessarily holding you accountable, cause no one would go to that community. Hey, can you hold me accountable? But like yeah. a community of people who incidentally hold you accountable or, you know, that's your friends and your family, like that would, that would probably, uh, mitigate against some of this, like just rabid some of it. individual. But that's what they don't like either is they don't want you, they would view that as coercion. Yeah. So church always gets painted bad. Churches have done some bad things. But churches have done a lot of good things too. For sure. And church is always bad in this because it's always the place where you go to get coerced. Mm-hmm. Your friend group is just the group that supports you yeah. and makes you love yourself more. Yeah. That's your only friend group. And you and I know just from sports, that's not what I want. I want to go to the jujitsu yeah. gym that gets me to the goals. And yeah. that means sometimes my coach says, hey, you're messing up. You keep doing the same mistake. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, dude, some of my best friends have they call you out and you can't even explain it because calling out doesn't sound, it's not what they do. They're like, Hey, you did something wrong, bro. And mm-hmm. like, you need to change your mind about that. And you need to go apologize. Yeah. I don't want to apologize. Screw you, dude. And it's like, yeah. I'm telling you, you're going to go apologize dude. And it's like, yeah, that's a good friend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So because what you're doing there is you're saying there's an objective standard mm. 
and you and I both agreed on it, but now you're violating it, and I'm going to hold you accountable to that object- objective standard. Yeah, that's natural law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so we should care about the First Amendment because we are human beings, and should we uphold it, or should we like you know? Let's say like post millennialism is true, and like a thousand years from now, like the majority of people in the states are Christian. Ought they vote to change it? Or you're saying like, no, just keep it. And Well, like this, do we need a law that says two plus two is four? Mm. No, probably not. And it'd be a waste of their time. We're paying them to pass laws that two plus two is four. So what if you have a group of people who have been discipled? When you go into all the world, you teach them to observe. That's the key I'm making versus legislate them to observe. Yeah. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. So what happens for Christians is different for Israel. People from around the world did come to Israel, right? We meet that Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. So people knew of Jerusalem and they came to Jerusalem, but now Christians are sent into other already existing nations. Yeah. And with the goal of teaching them about Christ, not, hey, make sure you spread Republican democracy everywhere <laughs> while you're at it. Man, thank God too. Yeah, thank God that's not the mission. Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah, that's so good. Um, but I, so I think that's part of, so you said is this essential to the Christian message. I think it is, and I'm going to use both the life of, well, Moses, David, but especially, say, Jesus or Paul. How many times is it wrapped around dialogues? I've been more and more convinced, well, think about Job even. Yeah. More and more convinced about how biblical dialogues are so great to emulate compared to the Socratic dialogues. And so, yeah, you have the freedom as a rational person to go to the, philosophers or to go to the silver merchants in Ephesus and say, you're in sin. I'm here to tell you about the Christ who will redeem you. Hmm. And they can push back and say, no, we don't think so. Here's our objections. And you can answer their objections. Yeah. And it says that by Paul was two years reasoning with him in Ephesus. Yeah. That's pretty epic. And we talked last time about the philosophy lecture he gave at the Areopagus and Mm -hmm. yeah, that's fantastic, man. I love it. Well, dude, this so is what I'd like to do is I'm kind of redirecting it from politics is what I'm saying. Yeah, because there's there's some books out right now about, you know, Christian nationalism mm-hmm. or monarchies. I'm kind of redirecting it and saying it's not really about politics. It's about the Great Commission, yeah. which is grounded in our ability to show what's clear about God to all people. Mm-hmm. And we should be able to do it. We should make that our concern. Yeah. Yeah. And. Disciple the nations. Yeah. That's good, man. It's hard to, uh, we could keep going forever on this. Um, (laughs) I want to, so if you guys are listening right now, if you're listening on like YouTube, uh, drop a comment as you guys can see, like I'm, I'm all over the map on it and I'm uncomfortable about this stuff, but I want to hear from you guys. I do read the comments. So let me know, like, what do you think of, uh, what, what Dr. Anderson said? Um, I want to hear from you guys. So drop something in the comment there. Um, even if it's just a little thinking emoji to let, let us know that you've been here and, uh, go check out Dr. Owen Anderson stuff. Uh, Owen, where can they find your, your work at? So you can go to dranderson.com or Dr. Owen Anderson's channel on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Patreon, Dr. Owen Anderson, and I've just started a Substack. Nice. Uh, what I'm going to especially focus on some of these issues, um, that are coming up about free speech. So that's also Dr. Owen Anderson. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's sweet. I'm looking forward to that Substack. I love Substack now. Uh, I'm, yeah. I think I'm pretty. Uh, I'm a man of my time, uh, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. But I get into stuff like mm-hmm. everyone's talking about Substack, so I got one too. And there, it's it yeah. turned out to be a really cool it is resource. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's good for. A re- I mean, it's popular for a reason. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, folks. That's gonna have to do it for now. Um, hopefully, the right people were triggered and the wrong ones weren't. Uh, This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.